morning to people out there listening. Morning where I am, wherever you are. Good afternoon, evening, or otherwise. This is the uh, Better People, Better Business podcast. Um, I'm AD Andrew Deering, and we seek to bring conversations that talk to that question around what is better people, better business. Um, today, I am ever so lucky to be talking to uh, the wonderful Dr. Richard Hodge. Uh, Richard, as a frame for you all, you may not have read him, feel free to Google him and find him. You'll find him at richardhodge.com.au, I think, or is it just .com these days? Just .com. He's he's global. (laughs) Um, And and Richard develops and teaches systems approaches to some of the hardest problems the world faces today. He shows people that no problem is too big for them to act and leave the world better for what they've done to show progress on really important platforms, ecological, social and governance outcomes. He runs his own practice, um, this century leadership and governance, engaging with people and businesses as a teacher, author and mentor. Um, And I know Richard, I've had the pleasure of getting to know him over quite a few years and uh, I'm sure this conversation will be delightful for you. It certainly will be for me, so I'm feeling very spoiled. Um, And Richard's wisdom comes from a place of lots of experience um, and it's not just the beautiful grey hair, which I'm deeply jealous of having <laughs> hair, hair at all, um, but also just a lot of experience and a lot of um, willingness to experiment to try to do things a little differently. G'day, Richard. G'day, AD. AD. AD that often much. No, I think we, we flip between different things. Yeah, right? indeed. So, so really pleased to have you here. It's a pleasure. Thanks, no, it's a joy. Um, my question, we start this with everybody with the simple question being the frame of this is better people, better business. And when I say that, uh, what words, what thoughts come to you straight away that you'd love to share? Well, two, uh, really. One around the better people is around care mm. and around better business, around control. Mm. Um, and and it goes really for me, for the better people, um, is being anchored in value. And I think that uh, one thing we could possibly explore today um, is how people and businesses could, um, uh, you know, have a better conversation around value. Mm. And on the other side, um, governance. That's a bit of a dirty word, really. You know, people <laughs> have <laughs> I would hope not too many people have gone, Ooh, you know, Governance, but governance is really about control. We govern ourselves, you know, um, about how we plan, manage, and and deliver what we do in in each day, in each moment. Mm. Uh, so governance is something that sits within, and um, and and I think that that is something that uh, acts as an integration point um, for people and business and mm. uh, and and I think through that then we can bring in yes some of the systems thinking but uh, ultimately to to give hope to the idea that you know solutions to the to the problems we face today are available mm. and I think it's you know um, behoves people like you and me uh, to make them more accessible mm. What a great frame. There's so much in there. <laughs> and I'm sure people are going to go, oh, this is, here we go, deep end, right Oh, Yeah. Um, the interesting instant comment I have, which is, and it's just this beautiful duality that I think in how I hear and I think how lots of people will hear this is care and control. It, we don't 
we kind of don't often see people talk about them as if they're a mutually inclusive thing. They almost feel like they're a polarity. Um, right. You know, I, I think there's this whole, when people think about control, it's often less comfortable and often less caring um, the way it might be exhibited. So I guess I'm really right. curious, like, because I don't know, I know you well enough to know that you think of them as absolutely able to sit in bed together and have a conversation. <laughs> what is, tell me a bit more about that. Well, I, 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 I um, my frame comes really from uh, living systems, right? And and really this this whole idea, and I was first brought to that by um, Ari de Hus, uh, uh, who is a you know a, a, a Dutch author, but he was also a member of the um, Shell Strategic Planning um, uh, Group in in the seventies, and they did exceptionally well there. Um, but Ari wrote a book called The Living Company. Company. And that was back in the late 90s. And that's really what got me hooked on on this idea. And then um, this this notion that, uh, in fact, you can look at some and he went to some lengths about looking at some behaviors that were quite parasitic. Mm. Uh, and 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 I'm sure we can all just sort of relate to some of that. You know, why is it that on Sunday afternoons, these people are, you know, really nice family people, but then they get to work and then they're all aggressive and passive aggressive and whatever else being driven by um, uh, competition instead of cooperation. Mm. And, uh, and, and living systems, largely, you know, they're, they're not so much competitive but more cooperative within the environment. Mm. And and that notion then of care and control comes uh, together within the frame of living systems. In fact, you can't have um, a system being alive if there is no control. Mm. So t- tell us more about that. Because that's <laughs> an interesting, interesting thought. And I think if you could um, generous in your wisdom around living systems, because I think a lot of people are kind of going, what does Richard mean by that? What does that mean? Well, a, a living system, and I look at myself. I'm going to look at myself in the mirror. I go, my God, you know. Th- th- what a handsome devil. No, <laughs> yeah. no not so much that. <laughs> More the fact that, you know, there's there's a heart that keeps beating there's mm. and, and, and lungs and breathing and all of this sort of thing that's going on mm. and a whole range of autonomous control happening that keeps me alive that that there is a cardiovascular system feeding the cells in my body um mm. and and the cells in my body knowing that well knowing that mm. they they need to get rid of waste and everything that just works mm. in the sense but there are limits to viability yep. you know a minimum if we don't have enough potassium in our system um or if we have too much, we'll end up with a heart attack. And not enough, we end up with all sorts of other problems so that there are, are limits to the system. And these sorts of controls are, are set biologically uh, within us that have a minimum desirable level and, and a maximum beyond which mm. life doesn't exist. You know, nature has a mm. way of saying, no, your time here is done. And, um, and I think in many respects that um, <clears throat> offers a pretty useful 
metaphor for business to go, well, yes, okay, what is viability for um, my people in terms of the environment that we've got for them operating in and that whereby they can live with the set of values that they care about, that they can sign up for the social good that we're doing um, in this, um, but equally have a, a, a voice when, you know, the boundaries of that, that help shape the boundaries of the, uh, uh, of the business. Mm. But then equally within the business, knowing just what are the, the minimum and desirable limits of where the business will operate, how it will operate, the values it will uh, impart, um, and without which um, then people um, will either leave the business or you'll get more people knocking on your door to um, sign up for the business and, and mm. actually join it. So I, I think that um, it, 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 there is a complexity within us and that we are a, a complex being, but yet <laughs> there's, a, there's a set of uh, parameters that we, we um, live with. Well, I'm trying to think about how to make this a, a, a little um, uh, easier to, to digest is that by and large we we grow with our values mm. and they're shaped and mm. too often we um you know find ourselves working in organizations where there's a dissonance yeah and that and it's that dissonance that we make either choices to live with that that then may have you know create chronic problems for the way we're living our lives or we find a voice and exercise it to help shape either the business we're working within or to go, you know what, I'm out of here and I'll go and find a business that aligns with my values. And I think we've seen a lot more of that. And, and when you look at that at a macro level, that can only be better for society as a whole. Mm, yeah, look, that's brilliant. And Thank you for the, taking the time to wrestle through those words, although I think it, thank you for simplifying it for people like me. It, it is a really um, – I, I love the analogy of the human body that you talked to there where, and, and the fact that there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do every day. We have no conscious awareness of the autonomy, that autonomic, autonomic systems. And I think um, the analogy you play there is really powerful where for a business – it also has a whole bunch of autonomic activity going on all the time. And if you're to go to that place of control and care, if you're not aware of those things, they become either really, well, if you're not aware of them, they're probably going to be problematic more than they're likely. Yeah. If you become aware of them, they become a really amazing opportunity. Um, how, yeah. how, does, how do people experience you and the business, because business is nothing more than a bunch of people, but how right. do people experience the business, the team, the people? Um, what is the unsaid, the unwritten, but the thing that is the, the lungs every day, the heart pumping every second, like <laughs> the eyeballs working so they can see and also the ears are not just glued on or painted on, they're actually active. Um, it's a really, really powerful analogy. 
Um, yeah, the so here's the challenge, though, you see, because when we look at the human body and we all um, uh, do that and we know, we get a, a sense that, hey, something's not, not mm. right, you know, and we go and see a doctor. And... Um, and fortunately, our medical folks are trained before they're given a license to intervene, they learn about the whole body, right? Mm. So that they're pretty much qualified in general medicine. And I love the fact that um, general practitioners advertise themselves as specialists in life. <laughs> right. And then when, you know, oh, no, shit, Richard, you know, you, you really need to go and get your gut sorted out. I'm sent off to a gastroenterologist and whatever else who really understands what's going on um, at, at that level of this, you know, my living system. Mm. The thing is, I and mean, that's great because then um, I can go and see a number of specialists if I need to and then come back to the GP to go, well, you know, we, we need to make some uh, balance of life uh, questions. And particularly as we get older, that becomes even, you know, more important. The thing is, for management education, most mm. of us have started off as specialists Specialists in finance, specialists in, um, uh, you know, maybe drilling or uh, what, whatever is the, the mining uh, uh, equivalent of, of that where um, and or cartage or transportation or mm. the like. And then get up into executive positions where suddenly we now need to know about the whole business. And there's no way of really knowing and learning the whole quickly. And, and therein, we've got no specialists in the life of the business. And the challenge for executives is to get that generalized education much sooner. But what I'd like to see happen is for the um, businesses to engage more in in you know lifting the consciousness of their younger folk to give them the generalized feel for the whole of the business and how the whole operates so mm. that they can understand when they're making um, some intervention in part of the business, what its <coughs> repercussions are in the whole, and build more specialists in the generalized, you know, life of the business. Yeah, that's really insightful. And I think um, I remember when I was much younger, uh, and a lot of organizations, it feels like there's been a, a, a shift in how often people are, are promoted through an organization. And I think there's been this deep desire <clears throat> for deepening of specialization to your point. Um, you know, where you might have whether it's an operational piece, a HR piece, a HSC, whatever functional teams. It might also be um, you know, like you said, transport logistics, whatever the frame is, these sort of discipline specializations, it, it feels like an organizations love to move people very vertically. Yes. Um, and and kind of hope along the way they're getting some horizontal spread. Yeah. But really, the funnels is pretty tight. So the awareness of for a HR professional or for a HSE professional um, or practitioner, whichever language you want, that's a whole other conversation. But, um, but but those people in those discipline spaces often never step out of them. No. I remember I remember being in my younger days and watching. In I was fortunate to work for one organisation and. 
that business very much moves people into different silos, <clears throat> into the different streams to give them a roundness to understand what's actually going on. As you said, the whole of business type frame. Right. Um, it took them from being a gastroenterologist and said, <laughs> let's let's give you some GP practice. Right. And a deliberate pathway. But that seems to have dissipated over the last few decades. I'm not saying it's gone, but it seems to be less supported. But that do you see that in the work you do? Look, I, I, I think it's a struggle, particularly over these last uh, three years where, mm. um, you know, we've been so driven by efficiency measures over the last, you know, I'm going to say 40 or 50 years that um, and and we've seen that happen, you know, as profits have, have risen, um, whereas as wages haven't, that's a current issue um, mm. right right now. Um, we have... Um, <clears throat> seen efficiency driving taking costs out of the business so just in time uh, supply lines and and the like and covid has the effect of actually peeling off the veneer of, of and showing us just how fragile um this has been so i i, I think that um because we've been so driven by measuring the performance of the parts of the business that we've lost sight of the whole, and that's why we see so many businesses not having, um, you know, I use the resilience word perhaps now, or the anti-fragility mm. to be able to thrive in, you know, these these tougher times uh, right now, and and that comes back from really understanding how the whole of the business operates together and whether or not by optimizing a part of the business you've actually suboptimized the whole and mm. and my sense is that people most businesses don't have a um a view a good view of the whole to be able to make that judgment mm. So one example, I was talking, so I gave a presentation, this is now going back about six years, uh, but it was in the defence um, uh, environment and um, uh, and they'd had a, a major issue, we'd done some systems approaches and whatever, it was briefing it out and sitting around the table was their premier advisor who was also an, a, a non-executive director with one of the big banks. Mm. Anyway ran out my systems model and talked them through and it really could sit on one piece of paper. So it's not hugely complex, but he stopped at the end of it and he said, you know, I was having a conversation in the bank this morning that was addressing an issue that we were having started that conversation 10 years ago. And we haven't been able to get our heads around reasonable ways of addressing that issue for want of a model of the whole business akin mm. to what you've just done for this part of the defense organization. So mm. I think that this, this notion of, um, you know, it's really difficult to regulate and that, that's the control piece of, of the business if you don't have a model um, for how the whole business operates. And, of course, mm. go back to the general practitioners 
they they have not just one model, a whole series of models, you know, from the vascular anatomical and and really understanding you know, systemic interactions and the like, a number of different models that help them appreciate the complexity of the human being. Well, yeah. They go to some rigor to develop, you know, o- over time to develop that. Where's the business equivalent? Yeah, I think it's that's yes. There's a lot of uh, amazing conversation in there, and I and I the picture I have in my head to use your in body piece again is um, and might help people access this more. Is if we just did all bunch of work in our head. Uh, and and ignored our heart and our gut if I use them as distinct things. Yeah. We're going to have some problems. Um, at the same time, if we're constantly in the business, purely focused on caring and not doing much thinking about that, not doing much around our gut, and we're going to have a problem. If it's just about the gut, we're going to have a problem. The systems and the thing is, I think that's really interesting in medicine these days and health. More than ever before, we realise that those three things are deeply interconnected. Yeah. Um, you know, things like the gut and the heart actually have neurons, have the capacity to think. It's not just this big grey mass in our head. Correct. It's actually all through our body. Correct. We, we didn't know that scientifically, but I think people inherently knew that. And you hear thinking of these old statements like trust your gut or you know, be led by your heart. And, you, you know, we sort of, well, they're lovely platitudes. Mm. Maybe there's a bit more to it. Than I think there's a hu- a lot more to <clears> it, and and I'm really pleased that you actually bring out that that whole notion of the um, central nervous system connecting, and how indeed with some reactions the brain doesn't get involved; it just hits the bottom of the spine back again, and boom, something something yep. happens, you know, and yep. um, uh, or a signal, you know, has has been picked up by a particular gland that then goes, aha. I need to release whatever is the the hormone or the protein that uh, that comes from that, and so this whole notion of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system at play in us, mm. you know, it, it tempts me to to say, well, now what about living enterprises of the future? What does their sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems look like? Mm. And it really drives us then to being. But that it works in our body because each of our parts of our body respects the role of the other parts, mm-hmm. right? And the interplay that we've got to, you know, we keep this being alive by us all working together. Well, that works for uh, enterprises as well. But then how it do does. you get into um, participative uh, engagement more, participative knowing, and so that you're able to engage with multiple perspectives from the multiple people. You know, some of the um, bigger businesses will have 100,000 people in them. Well, that's 100,000 cognitive beings that have some sense of what's good in the business and how not only to make it better, but how to improve prove and get it doing different things as well or how's that harnessed mm. because there's there's the thing and and I think the from the heart perspective it comes down to but are the executives really clear on their value proposition mm. really clear on that because that becomes the anchor for you know the 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 thousand people the hundred thousand people however big the enterprise is 
to to work towards, you know. Yeah, and I think this is an area that you and I have a deep congruence on, if I can use such a wanky word, <laughs> which is um, this conversation around value. And and for me, um, and those of you who know me will hear me bang on about this occasionally, it's the, the value word is beautiful, and I often write it with a little bracket S at the end because I think you're right, people and business organisations, it's very much around the value that you bring and the values that you choose to hold to. Yeah, deeply aligned um, should be, and if they're not, uh... right, <laughs> then then use you know, and, and particularly in in today's market where you know uh, at a macro level there's um, you know a lot of jobs available, but um, yep. I think irrespective of of that, um, it comes back to but what sort of life you want to live and and back to self-governance you know well we've all got choices um to make and our ability to make those uh choices based on the value set that you know is driving us towards a a, a better life um as we conceive it for ourselves yeah you're right and it's an interesting frame because Again, I'm jumping back to so much richness in what you've shared. That the whole this time in space right now, where the complexity that we've just seen and still echoes, still, but really the last couple of years have amplified a lot of people's what they've been thinking on the inside or silently whispering. They they're yelling now, and it is about choice. It is about congruence. It is about alignment and. And I certainly am seeing this in a lot of places, and lots of places where people are kind of going, you know, I don't want to die wondering. I don't want to be doing something I'm not enjoying. And it's, there's an interesting tension there. It's Some of it's a little, I will say also, there's in some cases a level of delusional where people kind of think that the grass is green on the other side. And the old saying, we know why it's greener because it's often fertilised by bullshit. But, <laughs> um, but there is also a piece of, well, you can explore that. Go and have a look because maybe it isn't the fertiliser and maybe the fertiliser is actually kind of handy that makes it grow. So, yeah. uh, and I think that that has absolutely been amplified in the last three years for lots of people. When they, in America, they talk about the great resignation and I, there's a whole another conversation. I think a lot of it's some interesting marketing by certain major organisations. But <laughs> none, nonetheless, the transfer of people, the decisions of people to move, the understanding of people being able to make choices has become more empowered and people are. And that's just that amplification yeah, is I just present. Just uh, And it is, you know, if, if anything, it's the great amplification of exactly that. Yeah. And and people have gone and, and it's a values choice. You yeah. know, I... I and as you know, in, in the thought leaders uh, game, we talk about doing work we love with people we like the way we want. Mm. Um, well, that ain't restricted to thought leaders. That That's pretty much becoming much more endemic and people making choices to doing the work they love with people they like the way they want. And here's the challenge then for executives to actually live that and harness that and um, and I think them being clear on their own value proposition is key to attracting people who have their values. 
Absolutely. Um, and 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 I, I I use the values word. I I, I just want to be clear that um, when I say the you know each enterprise setting a value proposition, I mean tell me how do you conceive value that'll mm. drive the behaviours that you want to see in the people that work in your organisation. Yep. How do you contribute value to the planet and to the people? You know to society. You've been given a social license to do business. What's the social good you're delivering yep. without harm to the planet? And then how do you counter value? And because if you talk about the behavioral part, you talk about the social part, but you're still only counting dollars at the bottom line, then all the rest is just words and, and people will see that what you really value is um, profit. And, and I'm all for, if that's what companies want to do, say so, because there's plenty of people that just want to earn money and yeah. you might attract those sort of peoples. You may not attract the investors, though, that are looking for survival of companies. Yeah. Um, yes. That's good, and I think um, you know to use that frame. And for, for people listening, rewind, play the last forty-five seconds again. I think it'll be really helpful. Um, but it was very much around the behaviours, like what are so to use that word, the values. What are the behaviours of the business, the organisation? And let's be honest, it's all about the leaders and what they set. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the second part is around um, the values. It's uh, as you said, people and planet type frame around you know where are you in that thinking and from from an organization perspective again leaders what are you setting and and owners because i guess there's uh if you're an owner you are a leader yeah <laughs> welcome to the table um and the third piece that sits behind that um it's a behavior um well, my brain is a bit foggy today Richard. Sorry. <laughs> behaviors <laughs> values value sorry really important and then as you said how you're measuring that yeah. Um, well, and, so, and, and I was just going to say one thing. No, no, I think this is, it's really important that third piece that you shared because I know for myself, um, it is, it is absolutely driven through most historical frameworks that the, that the way to measure stuff is purely the dollar. You've got to find a number. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and it has and, to be more is better. Um, versus I was, I was talking to someone just last week and they run, and I'll share this little one, they run an organisation that helps businesses through an, an advisory board type model. Right. Um, and interestingly, like you sort of talk to them and they have serious hitters um, in regard to some of these board chairs. So when I say serious hitters, these are people who are running multiple hundreds of million dollars worth of businesses. So they're not people who've done small stuff and they're all personal privately owned businesses they're not corporate space so they've built these things yeah well the interesting frame with this is you know this organization does we'll say in the teens of million dollars turnover um and you go you know that's great but when you hear their their uh, behaviors the values they talk to are very encouraging around helping small business succeed it's very great the second part of that around um you know, making sure that uh, they do have a focus on people and planet. They talk to that, and then you go. I'll tell you about the third measure. 
And the interesting piece with that is it's about outcomes for the people who are members, the profitability of the things. For a, for a business that runs, turns over $15, 16000000 million, it makes a profit of about hundred grand because it's right. not the measure they care about. Right. It's not what they're measuring. I'll tell you that's what it is, but they don't care. The, yeah. the measure comes in the success of their people being more able to run yes. happier, healthier organisations. Yes. And you go, oh, I like that. Yeah, and and as you were saying that, you know, I was I was reminded of a of a conversation with my brother. Now, um, my brother David uh, spent twenty six years or thereabouts working for uh, Michelle's Wall Processors in uh, in, in Adelaide, and mm. um, and particularly, you know, with the the older. Um, leaders, you know, we're going back to the to the eighties um, there when when Dave started. But the old fellow who's a family business, he only wanted to a, a dollar profit per kilo of wool, right? That was it. But what that then drove was for everyone to actually get to understand how everything they were doing was contributing to that dollar profit. They could look at, you know, the changes in exchange rate and what that meant for, you know, Benetton in Italy buying their processed wool for their Mm. suits and everything else. Um, And as a result, um, Dave would say they never had one day of strike in 26 years and Mm. they were the highest paid uh, textile workers uh, in Australia. Fascinating, isn't it? It just worked well. You know, everyone was happy. It wasn't a question of trying to, um, you know, take costs out. It was a question of making sure that the whole worked together. And Mm. uh, a really wonderful example of systems thinking in practice, and they may not have even thought about it, but I bet they thought about it as a living system. Yes, I suspect that leader, that individual way back there when your brother was there, was thinking about, you know, how do I keep people, the sort of language they probably used back then, how do I keep people engaged, how do I keep people happy here, how do I not have big turnover, how do I not have unions banging my door down, how do I make life just a bit simpler? And so dear old Alan Joyce is in in the the media quite a bit uh, late, as as many people are, you know, taking his name in vain. But I I look at, well, what's really stirred that? And, and, you know, COVID made it very hard for airlines because they're they're just billion dollars of, you know, um, uh, assets under management and and huge i couldn't imagine you know trying to run that but Mm. he made the call to outsource the baggage handling and and that broke a chain in the customer experience right and because it was focused on a part of the business that he found a way of being able to deliver more efficiently, which would be good for earnings per share. Super. But yet in breaking that bit from the whole and outsourcing it, then um, its consequences have been to actually shatter and 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 or at least deleteriously impact customer experience mm. with the airline that they're now you know got quite a job on their hands to to rebuild uh, that and you know going back to the 
body as a metaphor, well, ask yourself, what part of your body would you happily outsource? <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, you know? Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> because you, you've got to understand how it contributes to the things that matter most. If your business is moving people, don't piss off the people. Mm. And when you, if I use that simple frame you offered before as well around the, the choice around that and, you know, due respect to Mr. Joyce, but there's obviously consequences that you've called out that are well and truly documented way beyond anything sure. we can talk to. But there is a piece here around that choice, the behaviour that sits around that, the value that that constitutes and what was the measure of why that was made. Yes. And uh, I know you talked about efficiency and I would also offer that probably was less about efficiency but cost effectiveness. Yeah. I, sus I suspect that last piece became the drive versus the understanding of the so. others. Um, and, and it does have a consequence because as the whole body does that, as you said, the gut just got outsourced and the heart and the head are kind of going, are we next? Yeah, well, the, there's there's that. But then how do we get rid of all of the bits that we no longer want in the system, you know, and you go, ooh. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> and it's a really powerful, it's a powerful way of thinking and it is something that is live and active today. And if people don't know what we're talking about, feel free to Google Qantas and just see some of the challenges they're wrestling with. Um, yes. Organisation that is that is distinctly Australian in its history um, and it's going through some interesting opportunities to to grow and learn. Um, but, uh, yeah, and and yeah, okay. I, I picked on that really because it's it's topical and alive mm. in the media um, right now. But there's many other uh, cases where um, yep. you, you know organisations have gone from holistic businesses to being a web of contracts. Yeah. With with other businesses, um, and all <clears throat> that does is remove. Um, people from working together with people, you know, that's that's um, you know, my friend's a um, <laughs> Qantas pilot, um, but he and the first thing he will do is walk around the aircraft and you know, perhaps have a chat with some of the ground staff and whatever else, but they're no longer working to the one end of getting customers moved from point A to, to point B. Safely. The other, the other fellow, you know, is only interested in getting those bags from there to there. Mm. Um, That's what and, his contract is. And therein is, is, is part of the problem of when you break um, a holistic business into a, a web of contracts, then you each time move your customer experience. Um, you know, is is a higher level of difficulty to achieve, um, and then you can get into questions about cost effectiveness, and um, uh, and and really wonder whether or not you've lit the fuse that will ultimately make the business extinct. It's an interesting um, tension because, and an opportunity in the same space where this is not unusual. Businesses are doing this every day. That whole model of because there's also places where there's other organisations who are much better at doing certain things that you do bring in. Yeah. I think it goes right back to the start of the conversation where you shared this thought around cooperation, not competition. And I think what might be, and I'll take your wisdom here, but I, one of the things I think is at play inside 
the example we were talking about is there's a level of competitiveness inside the system. Yes. Versus how do we, as you said, if this, if the ultimate game is customer experience, moving from A to B with luggage, with care, with etc., in a timely manner, you know, on schedule, blah. But inside, there's this competitive tension. We kind of got a problem here. Yeah. You know, if the body is fighting with the, if the guts fighting with the heart, um, we got a problem here. Totally, because they care about different things now, right? Rather than caring about keeping the whole alive. So when we're introducing, as you know, there are people out there who run, who are in businesses and have this type of model. Um, I guess the question is, in your thinking, uh, we know that it happens, and it's not—it's going to continue to happen. What is what's? How do we do it well? Like, what is the secret or the opportunity in those secrets? Or what is the opportunity that sits inside of if you if you're going to have these integrated services, if I call it that, that might be outsourced or otherwise? How do you make the work well for a system like a whole whole system, a live system thinking? So I would start with the the value model. Um, what is it that uh, we value in terms of behaviours, and and there's got to be consequences for not having those behaviours. So, um, as in a distributed web of uh, uh, businesses working together to achieve um, uh, a, a particular outcome, whether or not it's you know Qantas's transportation outcomes or or uh, a mining outcome or the like. come back to what is it, how do we conceive of value? And I'll talk to that a bit in a moment. How do we contribute value in, in the, in, uh, ecologically, socially, and, and, to the, and economically, all three layers, and mm. how do we count value? And every executive must be able to use that as an anchor in every single conversation. Yeah. And so that any anyone making a decision and governing their own day, if they're faced with choices and they're not quite sure which choice to make, they can go, well, I'll choose the one that is closest to that value anchor. And then you've got a higher probability of the organization now starting to work together because they'll understand the consequences down the line or they'll yeah. have to ask for the, you know, and seek out and understand the consequences further down the line. And that's something that would build up over time, but a very strong um, anchor on value so that that then provides a basis for greater participative decision-making. It also says to the people who we are contracted with, you now have the opportunity, if you don't uh, uh, agree with and align with this value proposition, then maybe we need to find another so contractor who does. Yeah. It's interesting that that model, I was talking to a CEO a while back and um, she was sharing Something had happened, an event, I'll leave that out for lots of different reasons, but it was problematic, very problematic in a community basis. So to use your frame, it was less ecological, very much around social. Yep. Um, and decisions have been made, 
she found out much later. And she shared this simple frame that she'd been taught in the organisation, which was, um, and I think it was a really useful, simple one. And it was about, you know, is it is it legally okay? So it's the first level. They go, is it legal? If it's yes. not legal, just stop. Yes. The second one was, is it moral and ethical? So is it, you know, is that sense of, you know, does it fit inside the the right? Um, and again, if it, you know, great. If that happens, tick, move on. The next one is around the sense. Does it make sense? Yes. So you know, so if I was if I was the person this is happening to, does that actually feel fair and make sense? Um, and you know, her comment about this one was, in her view, you could argue the legal. She didn't agree with it, but you could argue it. The moral and ethical, you go, it just makes no sense. And is it does it does it make sense and is it fair? Scratch. But people had gone through and still done it. Yeah. And she was trying to remedy that. Yeah. But again, because people said, well, it's legal, we can do it. But hadn't gone little step further or the step beyond that around. <laughs> so no, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Right. Which is what you're talking about, some of this system thinking. Um, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. No. Well, uh, <laughs> that dear old Peter Checkland, who, who wrote the first systems book I bought that's on the shelf over there, Systems Thinking, Systems Practice, he talks about the five E's. Mm-hmm. And and that there is a there's an order to them. Efficacy. So get your pencils out, everybody. Write this <laughs> down. Yep. Efficacy. Efficacy. Is this the right thing to do? Right. Mm-hmm. And and if you know how you contribute value, right, ecologically, yep. socially, and economically, yep. then is it the right thing to do? Yeah. And if that is also attached with do no harm, then that becomes a bit easier. Mm. And it <clears throat> effectiveness. Yep. Can you do the right thing well? Yep. Then ethically, in in what we've chosen to do and how we've chosen to do it, is there anything that in in those choices that is unethical? Because you mm. stop right there. Right, yep. you can scratch all of the other options and go go back and look at that. Some would say ethics needs to come first, but I think you've got choices about what's right and how you might do it, and then ethically, then aesthetically. Mm. Right, mm. and yes, I know it begins with an A E, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that that goes to. But the world is an aesthetic. We love. Beautiful things. We love the the you know the <clears throat> color of the water and all all of that sort of thing. We don't like seeing plastic in the ocean either, um, and <clears throat> or litter on our streets. Um, so it's the aesthetics and then efficiency. Mm. But too often they're inverted. Mm. What's cheapest? Does it yeah. look good? Can we get away with it? Then effectiveness and well, and and if and too often, as we've seen with you know Enron, with some of the banking um, um, royal commission, uh, the aged mm. care royal commission, um, when efficiency drives things as the primary uh, choice, uh, the primary criteria, then too it's too easy for ethics to go out the window. Yeah, I think um, the the thing when you go through those five, uh, you know, the other comment I would make is at times people choose 
which of the five they want to talk about and which <laughs> they don't. And I think right. that frame, I'm sure that um, the author talked to was it's all five or none. It's all but five. You, you have to be considering all of them. And yeah. Um, yeah. it was, again, conversation I had with somebody just this week, interestingly, um, in renewable energy space. And his, his reflection, he'd been over to France to have a look at some of the offshore wind farms, which traditionally can get a bit of a bad rap because a lot of them are ugly. And interestingly, this uh, organisation had actually thought about the aesthetics of the product and they and people and they'd won a bunch of awards with the local people around how how good looking it was right still, still generated all the value in regard to renewable energy etc but the local people kind of went well thanks thanks for caring thanks for actually making them pleasing rather than these ugly yes. eyesores that we often see that, um small Imagine, you know, mining taking aesthetics a little more seriously. Um, And some do, right? Some some do. Absolutely. And it's a a wonderful frame. It's a brilliant frame. I think, Um, um, sorry, Richard, go. No, no, that's quite all right. I was just uh, remembering actually from my first mentor was was my grandfather, uh, born in 1899, but he would often say to me, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And mm. there was the efficacy and effectiveness criteria right there. Is it mm. worth doing? Then it's worth doing well. And I, and I think that's um, there's a bunch of wisdom in some of those thoughts, which, again, I like the five. And, um, and, and yeah, then you've go into the, because of the complexity, et cetera, um, one could say the world was a little simpler in, in his life, but um, I I would, <laughs> there's another conversation there. Yes. I argue for a man yes. that uh, lived through uh, two world wars, a Great Depression, um, and, and moved from um, Dickensian times to the internet, um, mm. That he lived through a lot of, a lot of change. Yeah, and I was just going to say that it's it's um, I think too often we say, well, that was then, this is now, and it's it's tougher now, and you, mm, it's no. different, it's different, it's <laughs> I not think tougher, it's just different, it's different, and I think to to if you if anyone, in my experience, when I'm coaching and mentoring people, if anybody sort of says, yeah, but that it's different now, it's usually a very interesting conversation. Um, so you're recognising it is different, but it doesn't make it harder. No. Uh, so, you know, those five levels of efficacy, although they were easier 100 years ago, well, no, there's a whole bunch of other no, they weren't. you know, way just different frames, but they're so they, just they, as difficult. Yeah, they didn't know how to keep 200 tonnes of aluminium in the air. Yeah. <laughs> but they, yeah. they learnt. Yeah, they learnt. And it's they learnt. Adaption, thinking, growing, learning. Yeah, really powerful. And there's a whole bunch of different rabbit holes there. (laughs) And I I would love to have another conversation because I think there's this piece around um, the one place we didn't get to today. I think it's really important for organisations, and I love the way you do talk to it, um, and I'll I'll frame it but I'll park it, is the whole conversation around governance. Um, And it's something near and dear to my heart too, and you know that. Governance is a beautiful thing. But yet it gets such a bum rap in so yeah. many places. Uh, and yet, much like boundaries, they're, they're beautifully enabling, but they cop a flack all the, they cop flack all the time and it's not true. Governance, yeah. similarly, you know, one of the first things we do with all the organisations that the business does, my business does when they go in, 
is to have a look for the governance models to understand how they do work and how yeah. the work is conceived, managed and understood. Yeah. Um, and, and we see it missing in lots of places. Well, if I can make one comment on that, I know we're, we're close Please. to time. Um, and and I, <clears throat> I talked at uh, the International Council for Systems Engineering uh, recently at their international symposium in Detroit, um, a tutorial, one-day tutorial on complex systems governance. Mm. Uh, one of the things that's, that's quite apparent when you look at modern approaches to governance is that by and large, they're mechanistic. They're mechanistic mm. approaches to something that is a living system. And you go, no, you can't. There, there is a huge governance gap that needs to be filled in, and it'll be done through value model. It'll be done through higher participative engagement and the ways in which then you begin to think as a whole and then um, exercise control through participation. So that means control with people, not control over people. Mm. That is going to be it. So, so. I'd love to dance again, Richard, because I think, oh. <laughs> uh, and, and I'd love to if we, if with you know we'll have a chat. But I think it'd be really, I think people would love to hear that. You know, let's talk about this gap in governance around it being human centric, not necessarily just procedural or mechanical, as you said, mechanistic. Like, how do you get the human centered approach versus just the mechanistic approach? Oh, um, I think we've got to design it uh, for life, and uh, not just human life, but all life. Yeah, and that that I will. Uh, my commitment to everybody who's listening is, <laughs> I'll have a chat with uh, Mr. Hodge, Doctor Hodge, and see if we can get him back on to have a little, a wee chat because I think that'll be another fifty to sixty minutes quite uh, useful, and it is something that people are wrestling with. We are seeing this conversation happen. I'm certainly seeing. I'm sure you are. I'm, in businesses, they are. They want to understand how to do this better. They really do. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the solutions that are being offered to them, and again, respectfully, are often coming from the big end of town, the big houses who just roll out their system, <laughs> their mechanistic system right. that is often less heartful. I won't say it's not heartless, but it's less heartful. Like there's way less contextualization around humans yes. and more broadly, the, the, the impact of the business on the planet. Uh, they say things, but it's less of a, less present in what I've seen. That would be a wonderful conversation. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> but thank you very much. And I think for everybody, I mean, if I like most of these things, I say this, but I really do think that that's almost a, a replay start again. There's a lot of gold snuck all through this thing that Richard has offered. Um, the key things, I think, if I go back to that very first comment, and I and I hope that you've seen it through this conversation, everybody, but. How do you have care and control, which at times feel distant, are actually deeply ingrained with each other when it's done with the right perspective and the right attitude? Um, my one question, Richard, is, you know, parting gift for everybody, any particular thought or frame that you'd like to just really drive home or talk to? Um, oh, I'll shut up for a moment and let you... Well, perhaps uh, one, one idea that... Um <clears throat> that we know all we need to know to solve today's greatest challenges. We mm. have the technology we need to solve the world's greatest challenges. What we don't have 
necessarily uh, the uh, the political frameworks that enable us to do that. But I think it behoves, as we've seen in the last election, uh, individuals have more power than they realise. We matter more than we think. Yeah. And that small groups of people thinking and agitating and and putting forward um, ways of thinking and acting will change for the better how we engage with the ecology and with society and still make a profit in the process and survive as a species because one of the most important questions each of us can properly consider is what is our time to extinction mm. for our businesses, not only for ourselves. We know we're here for a short time, but our legacy can live on through uh, better approaches to the ecological and social contributions that we make. Mm. Powerful. <clears throat> a lovely tail end of conversations. Um, Again, thank you very much, Richard, for your oh, time. Thank you. Um, Richard has, Richard's got, um, gosh, like I said, Google, find him on the internet, uh, richardhodge.com. Uh, Richard's got books. He's got a lot of thinking out there. Uh, it's always enjoyable um, and I think deeply useful. And I, and I, it's almost that frame for such a time as this. Um, this thinking is, is really powerful because of the mess, the amplified amplification that's happened because of the mess we've just been through. And uh, and I think for those people who are out there who want to do something different, it's worth having a listen or a read to more of Richard's work um, because I think you will find some interesting pathways that you may choose to wander down. Um, thank you again, Dr. Hodge. Thanks, and, uh, Thank you, everyone, for really listening. Yeah, we are. I think everyone I think will enjoy it. Will say they've enjoyed it too. I can can't wait to hear some of the conversations I get back from this. Um, and as always, everyone who's out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being involved. Uh, if you need any help or any conversations, please feel free to reach out. We're always happy for conversation. And that goes for myself or Richard, I'm sure as well. Absolutely. Have a cracking day. Take care.